Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. If this is your first time tuning into V Radio, you can check out my archives on either my YouTube channel or my Anchor Anchor podcast, um, which you will then find links to all the various other podcasting services like Apple Podcasts, iTunes, etc. Um, I've done a lot of interviews with activists, scientists, uh, presidential candidates, senators, congressmen over the course of the years, documentary filmmakers. So I'm not right. I'm not left. I'm awake. Um, I do have a left lean, but um, a lot of my content ends up actually being very critical of the left. So if you're on the right, you'll probably find a lot of things you enjoy as well. My main purpose in doing all of this, my channel is not monetized. I'm not making any money doing any of this. In fact, I'm spending money doing this. Um, is to try to bring more of a clear, uh, I would say, nonpartisan lens to the events that are going on right now in the world. And when I offer my opinion, I'm very clear about that, generally from the forefront of whatever it is we're discussing at that time. I'm going to have some great guests coming up. Uh, Daryl Davis has agreed to come on my podcast, and um, Ben Stewart, the filmmaker behind Chimatica and Esoteric Agenda, will also be on my podcast next week. And today my guest is Villain Report, um, he has basically, you know, he protects his identity because he's actually on the ground, you know, generally intermingling with Antifa and the Proud Boys and the different organizations that are out there involved in protests. Um, so for that reason, he has a very good reason to conceal his identity. But he was on the ground for the We Spa protests and has a long history of doing the same at different protests. And we'll let him explain that. So I want to welcome you, villain, to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. No problem. So first question I always ask every guest is, what was the precipice moment for you that made you decide to go from just being a casual observer to actually being involved in politics or political activism? Yeah, I don't even know if I've consciously decided to get involved in these things. I just, uh, the George Floyd riots um, broke out and I was living in Portland, Oregon I went to a couple speeches by Joanne Hardesty, the one of the city council commissioners of Portland, and uh, she seemed to me to be directly calling for violence and riot. And sure enough, riot broke out um, at the end of, uh, I believe it was May, and I went out with a camera uh, dressed in black block just to see for myself what was going on and to document it. And then uh, something that really disturbed me was that uh, the mainstream media was uh, painting a picture that was in no way um, matching what I was seeing on the ground. So I ended up going up to CHOP to see for myself what was happening up there. And then I filmed uh, the riots last summer in Portland um, almost every day. And I've just been really disturbed by what's going on and, and how our society is allowing this to happen. And um, I've been lately calling myself just an idiot with a camera. Um, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd call myself an activist or um, politically active. I just, I'm disturbed by what's going on and I'm trying to understand it. And I'm trying to create a conversation around that with other people. Well, that's still a completely laudable goal. And I have to say I envy you for your ability to actually get on the ground. I haven't been able to do that. Um, for quite some time, um, really much, pretty much not since Occupy was I able to get down with a camera or uh, record, you know, interviews and such. So 
Um, it's great that you're doing that. And I agree with your frustration. I kind of already sensed from the beginning at all of these protests that the the message is just kind of being lost, like that this was something that really deserved for people to go investigate it in person. Um, it reminds me of um, a gentleman by the name of Daniel Ellsberg, who was known for releasing the Pentagon Papers. Um, I worked for Senator Mike Gravel, who was a senator that he involved in that process. And Daniel Ellsberg was trying to understand what was going on in Vietnam. And he finally got so frustrated with it from the Pentagon that he literally just went to Vietnam himself, ended up in the field, you know, arming himself to protect himself to really get a handle on what was going on, you know, in Vietnam. And it changed uh, his perspective and then led to the release of the Pentagon Papers. Now, while that's a war and we're talking about protests, I still think it's valid because um, you have like the two polar opposites of the situation, Fox News and MSNBC, both giving their own spin, you know, on everything. Um, And it seems like the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. While I'm left-leaning myself, I've found myself at, you know, serious opposition with the activities of Antifa. Um, You know, I was part of Occupy, and we had Antifa back then, and that was before everybody was trying to pretend they don't exist or that they were just an idea and they would follow around our peaceful protests and break stuff. And then we would have to do like damage control with the media to explain to them that that wasn't, that wasn't us. Um, and it, there are a lot of elements about it that nowadays people just laugh off or like they don't, they don't admit to, you know, but Antifa was largely a anarcho communist movement. Um, there, there are, there are some who are not, you know, but it was kind of predominantly an anarcho communist movement. And that was well understood. They didn't make any bones about it. And you can still see them sometimes carrying around the red and black flag flags of anarcho-communism. Um, and in some cases, not even anarcho-communism. These are the ones that I would say bother me the most is that sometimes you're also going to see the red you know, flag with the golden you know, sickle on it, hammer and sickle. And those are Stalinists or Maoists. Um, the two founders of the uh, Black Lives Matter are Maoists. Um, you know, and... <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever meet enthusiastic, you know, communists from those factions, but uh, they definitely have some pretty crazy ideas about how society should be reformed, you know, and on the right side of the situation, you still have like what we've always had, you know, just people, you know, I'd say like the MAGA group, you know, kind of, you know, personifies its own issues. There's no question about that. And when people who are leftists kind of criticize me for being so hard on them, I point out, well, you know, I'm not responsible for them. (laughs) I'm responsible for my tribe and what my tribe is doing, you know, and at the end of the day, um, as bad as this is, and I was just talking to a prominent leftist anarchist about this not long ago named Derek Jensen was that it's come to a point where even in, in the left, you can get better conversations ironically from discussing things with the right, including Trump supporters than you can, if you're going to deviate in any way from the leftist message that is being personified by black lives matter Antifa, um, you know, in the majority of what you would call the woke movements, um, you can't talk to those people. You either agree with everything they say or they spit what I call the shotgun blast of oppression at you, meaning you're a racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, trans, like they just throw down you know, everything and see what sticks. And the, the thing that bothers me the most about this, which is because I had taken a long break from activism <clears throat> to concentrate on my kids, was when I was watching the Kyle Rittenhouse incident and people were just saying stuff that just didn't happen. I was like, this didn't happen. He never just fired into the crowd. That's a lie. You know? Um, and then they said like, you know, in around the same time, Michael Reinel, you know, murders 
Jay Danielson from Patriot Prayer, you know, and they try to say that he was doing that in self-defense. And all the video I was watching was just this guy stalking up on him and shooting him. You know, um, I did two different pieces about that, one of which was a long, like, hour-long documentary I called the Kyle Rittenhouse Incident. And my reporting on that managed to get their original first shooter that most people don't even talk about arrested. Um, you know, but it panning out from that, the left in particular just keeps lining up on that issue and just saying things that are just factually incorrect. And if you argue with them about it, then you're a fascist white supremacist, you know, like, again, they get out the shotgun blast of oppression um, and try to see what sticks, you know? So I came on to watching some of your work because unknowingly actually I've used some clips that have you in it because of you arguing with different people at the Wii Spa. But, but before we get into the Wii Spa, could you talk a little bit first about your experiences at Chaz and, you know, um, just the other protests that you've been involved with or rather present for in Portland? Yeah, I went up to, I went up to CHOP. I'm from, from Portland, Oregon because uh, some people started sending me um, video clips of uh, media representations and commentary about what was going up on a shop. Specifically, like one of my friends, uh, a right-leaning friend, sent me a a video clip from uh, Tucker Carlson, and another friend, left-leaning friend, sent me a video clip from uh, John Oliver, and they were both uh, just um, saying what was going on at shop. And I thought they were both salacious and inflammatory and just uh, cartoonish, um, versions of reality. So I wanted to go up there and see for myself what was going on after I saw the mainstream media skewing what I was seeing for myself in Portland. So I went to CHOP. I was just planning on going in there for like a couple hours and then going home. But I ended up staying there for many days and I got a tent. And I slept in the park and I I worked in the, uh, I volunteered in the com- one of the commissaries, I call them, one of the little kitchens or like, like uh, stores where they were receiving donations and giving them out to people. And uh, I stayed there for many days, and then I left. And I'll be honest, when I was first there, I just thought the whole thing was stupid, and I was there to just kind of like mock it and make fun of it and see it for myself. And But then I went back because I heard the city of Seattle was going to shut it down. And I went up there on like June 28th, I believe it was. And... The city of Seattle did, it was a no-show that day. They didn't shut it down like, like it was supposed to happen. But that night, there ended up being a double shooting, and two, uh, two black boys, uh, teenage boys, got shot um, by, um, quote-unquote, CHOP security. Um, these, the, a lot of people don't know that CHOP is a gang territory. It's the, uh, it's the LGBT district of town. It's also the artistic district of town. And Cal Anderson Park is a, is a gang territory. As far as I understand, it's a crypt territory. So there's a lot of like uh, violent things happen, uh, mostly around uh, young boys trying to get uh, into the gang. And as far as I understand it, these two boys, the the 14 year old, the 60 year old, that got shot up that night, were were trying to get street cred to get into the gang. They they were living, they were homeless boys that run away from home, um, and they had left chop and they stole somebody's vehicle, that uh, white jeep that you see in that circumstance. And they were trying to get back in a chop to avoid um, detection by the police. And so they were, uh, the barriers were up at that point, the concrete barriers, so it wasn't easy to just drive in a chop. So you see them drive, excuse me, driving through the ball, pi- ball field at one point. That's because um, you could, 
get access by road to the ball field, but then you exited the ball field, and either way, you were still outside of the chop barriers um, as far as the concrete boundaries go. And then they finally found the entrance on, uh, I think it was 12th Street, the, and they were coming in pretty fast. These were teenage boys. They just sold in the cars, so they were probably all hopped up on a, emotions and adrenaline. And the Chaz security shot them up. And uh, I haven't heard any update, but the 16-year-old died on scene. He had six bullet wounds in him. And then the 14-year-old, um, he had three bullet wounds in him. And I, I held him in my lap on the back of a, back of a car that Raz Simone was driving. And we took him to the hospital. Um, um, I, I haven't heard any update. Um, whether he's still alive. Yeah, I haven't heard I anything about imagine. that either. Yeah, that kid like just he, disappeared. If he is still alive, I, yeah, I don't, I don't imagine that he's uh, mentally um, competent. Uh, he had a bullet wound to his temple. But um, so after that, I uh, started filming the uh, the riot, the nightly riots in Portland for a while. I ended up getting jumped by Black Lives Matter at the uh, Portland Police uh, Union Hall one night. Um. And then since let me let me pause you real quick just so I can comment. Figure it out. Yeah. yeah, let me comment just a little bit on like the whole Chaz Chop police thing because Donut Operator did a thing about that too. And they're supposed to be demonstrating how much better they are at policing than actual police, you know. And it it like it's pretty clear they were wandering around with AR-15s and you know like doing all of the things that they claim you know that police shouldn't be doing. You know, um, there's a video of them harassing a guy because they thought he was wearing a pro police pin and. You know, um, they just, you know, I think one of them hit him, if I remember right. You know, it just, it, it, that was situation was supposed to prove their superiority as police, you know, that people could do it better on their own. And I'd say that they kind of, well, epically failed at that. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I, I've always said that the, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, Antifa, they claim that they care about the knee on George Floyd's necks, but from what I've seen, uh, they seem to just want to be the knee on the neck. They don't want to prevent knees to be on people's necks. They just want the one to be, they want to be the ones to put the knee on the neck. So now talking about, I do want to go back to where we were at. And I apologize for interrupting. I just realized I wanted to make that point was um, just, you said, okay, so then you went to Portland and started recording the, the daily riots and you got jumped by BLM. So describe how that happened. I, was, I, was, I had gotten chased out of Portland in the middle of the broad daylight on a, a streamer, Portland Andy. Um, I was walking after the uh, um, Oregonians for Peace event. I believe it was July 12th, I think. It was uh, Sunday, um, 2020. Right. And uh, after that event, me and, me and Andy went walking around downtown um, live streaming. And uh, a group of Antifa approached us and threatened us and uh, kind of chased us through town a little bit. And uh, I was pretty disturbed that that was happening in broad daylight and the city wasn't doing anything about it. It's just like a gang of people dressed like ninjas or chasing people through downtown. Um, but um, I decided to take a break from things. And But somebody talked me into dropping by the uh, protests at the police union hall the next day. I believe it was the 13th. And... Uh, I was dressed um, very out of the norm for uh, for going to a protest. I, I actually just wanted to go to the grocery store that day, so I dressed a little bit like different just so I wouldn't get um, noticed by anybody. But it made me stand really, it made me stand out really bad at the uh, uh, police union protest. 
and I was filming there, and I was walking um, through the area, and then uh, there's a known member of uh, the Antifa movement in Portland called John Hacker. He's a man that's been, like, severely burned um, in, in some kind of fire accident, and uh, he he pointed me out to the crowd, and the crowd started surrounding me. Um, I, I took off running. Somebody tripped me, and then I got beaten until they, uh, they took my car keys and my, my cell phone, and then they let me go. And this was just for being present, and they knew who you were because of your filming? Is no. that what... Mo- no, they, had, go they ahead. had no clue who I was. They had no clue who I was. It was just uh, I had a camera, and John Hacker was uh, pointing me out. Um, people, will, If he points somebody out at a protest, people will take his word and start surrounding them. Um, he, he was accusing oh, me of filming okay. people's faces. Okay, so it was because of the filming. I guess I had missed that part. Yeah. No, Yeah, I get it. And they, they are becoming particular about that, but I think in large part, it's because of the fact that it hasn't been working out for them. Um, you know, so uh, like that reminds me like Drew Hernandez, for example, has figured out ways, I guess he's got some kind of hidden camera technology or something, but he's gotten some pretty clear footage of bad things going on in, in Portland. Um, like the, the infamous incident where that guy got kicked in the head, um, yeah. you know, and the funny thing is, is um, the intercept did kind of a hit job on him and some of the other um, uh, activist journalists and like claimed that like that was taken out of context or, you know, that like the, the whole incident was apparently not as bad as they thought. It was just some kind of personal thing or whatever. But so in response to that, Drew Hernandez released his full, like, I think it's like 30 to 40 minutes long video. And it certainly didn't make black lives matter look any better because it showed that that particular group of black lives matter security. And I put that in quotes, was just wandering around Portland looking for random white people to beat up, you know, and repeatedly saying, we're here for Black Lives Matter, fuck these white people, you know. So, <laughs> you know, it's like basically Drew is like, okay, sure, here, have both barrels. You know, and don't get me wrong, politically, Drew Hernandez and I probably do not agree on a lot of things. But, you know, in some cases, you know, because I've been around what happens when people are in a mob, you don't necessarily have to make up too much in order to, you know, to get some kind of point across, they screw up on their own. And I think the fact that nobody knew that Drew was videotaping them makes his videotaping much more, you know, authentic in the long run, because that's what they do when they don't think they're being watched, you know, and I know that they don't represent all of the Black Lives Matter movement. And this is a constant, you know, problem that I have is, you know, is that they, they say that and I'm like, okay, that's fine. But you guys are also like dead silent when this stuff happens. You never, you know, you never condemn it. You don't speak out against it. You certainly don't try to stop it while it's happening. And you're constantly telling us, you know, your silence is violence, you know, but if anybody from Black Lives Matter does anything like that, it's just invisible. And if you bring it up, it's because you're right wing, you know, here comes the shotgun of oppression again. (laughs) You know, you must be all of these things. You're a white supremacist. That's why you brought that up. You know, um, were you in Portland when all of that was going on or... Yeah, it was. Hmm. Were you present for any of that, or the uh, the attack on Adam Hamer? Yeah. No, I wasn't. I wasn't out that night. Um, okay. But I was pretty disturbed by that. I put out a lot of, uh, I gathered a lot of like different uh, internet sources and and um, put out a lot of info on Keish Love to kind of help um, that situation to be uh, pursued. Um, I don't usually try to use my footage to pursue people for criminal charges, but like when somebody is like blatantly just 
hunting somebody in the head in the middle of the street. Um, that he's that lucky he didn't kill him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's lucky. I don't, he didn't I don't know kill why him. he. I don't like. I don't know why Marquise Love isn't in jail for decades. Like our political, uh, like our our judicial system is so strange. Like uh, some places in the U.S., like people are still in jail for decades for for marijuana issues. But right. then, like something like that, where uh, I don't believe uh, Marquise Love got like a severe sentence for that, but. Like if you kick somebody in the head, like you've seen the video, like he was yeah. trying to kill kill a man, like right. he should be in jail for a long time, if not life. Like, and that same night, he like put out tweets like like he was the victim of the situation and said things like, you know, I might go to jail for life because I fought a racist, you know. And there's no indication whatsoever that that man was racist. He was like this really mild-mannered guy who was just trying to help the trans woman that they were all beating up and robbing, you know, and then just try to get the hell out of there. And then they accused him of trying to run people over, even though it's very clear that he didn't do that at all. He didn't accelerate his vehicle until everybody was out of his way, you know, but they lie about that. That's another one that I just, I, you know, there's so many different versions of that that get passed around and they just don't want to talk about. And then because of that happened, like, right, I want to say, within a couple of weeks of the Kyle Rittenhouse incident, it just got forgotten. You know, nobody talked about it anymore. Um, were you in yeah. Portland when, um, when uh, Michael Reinald murdered Jay Danielson or were, were you around at that time? I was in Portland. I was in Portland, but I didn't go out that night. Um, like uh, I've been swinging back and forth on being involved in this kind of thing and, and stepping away from it. And, uh, I couldn't, nobody really thought that that was going to be like a, a significant event that night. It was just supposed to be like a Trump car parade. Right. And it didn't seem like something interesting to me to film. It just seemed like a bunch of people like waving flags and driving around. But uh, I did not know that Antifa was going to stop their parade. And when they try, I didn't know they were going to try to drive through downtown. I think that was the last minute uh, choice. But, right. Um, uh, well, yeah, that's um. Do you? I guess like I'm sure you've seen a lot of the footage, but one of the parts in particular that bothered me was you know this really um, uh, heavyweight, as in just like a large girl, you know, basically going up and saying, you know, we killed a fucking Nazi, you know, I am not sad that a fucking fascist died tonight, you know, and <laughs> the whole uh, Michael Reinhold thing was kind of a an interesting moment because one of the things that was constantly going on on the internet at that time was that they would always share this link that said that studies show zero people have been killed by Antifa, you know, and I got to watch how they tried to like dance between everybody's Antifa to, well, he wasn't Antifa, even though like, you know, on his own social media, he called himself 100% Antifa, you know, so they were trying to do all of this damage control about this, you know, and when you review the video footage and like every piece of information I could get my hands on when I did my little mini doc about it, it's really clear that he was just stalking around looking for somebody to kill, you know, and uh, somebody pointed out that there's a car, I guess, in Portland, like a black kind of sports car, and it frequently has people of Antifa in it, and that car just somehow kind of magically appeared right after they shot this guy, like within seconds you know, and people got out of that car and like tried to give the, you know, tried to give Jay Danielson medical help and all that. 
you know, and it just, the whole thing kind of felt, you know, it's like, I don't know how deep it goes. I don't have evidence, but it really did kind of feel like an organized effort of we're going to go find somebody and execute them because the Trump supporters, you know, I guess they, from their trucks, like we're spraying bear mace at people and stuff like that. I saw some of that. So it's not to say that the right didn't do anything at that point, but it's, it kind of falls back uh, in the fact I that I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't no, know. Go ahead. That. You're holding that against the drugs for some Trump supporters. I wasn't there for that event, but all the videos I've shown, they were spraying people that were blocking their vehicles and, and, and also hitting their vehicles. I did not see any video of Trump supporter vehicles just randomly spraying people while they're driving. They were spraying. No, I'm willing to believe that. I'm willing path. to believe that. So yeah, that's, that sounds reasonable uh, no, too. And don't get me wrong. I've seen the right acts super horrible, uh, specifically we saw last weekend. Um, but many times I've seen the right just, just do stupid things. But, um, I, I did not see one instance of video where the right was just randomly spraying people. They were spraying people that were blocking the street and not allowing their car to go by. And they were spraying people that were attacking their vehicles. No, I'm, I'm willing to accept that. I'm just going off what I saw, but that's the reason. One of the reasons I have you on is you have been around on the ground there, and I have not. <laughs> so I'll defer to you on that when it comes up for sure. You know, but um, that one was a big black eye because it it completely you know destroyed the idea that the supposedly they don't kill people, and I think really that what it comes down to is the reason they don't kill people is they can't get away with it. And the other thing about that that I found difficult to deal with was when I was doing my investigation was that they, the media like would put out um, articles saying, you know, witness says that the police executed Michael Reinhold and that he wasn't armed. And like they selectively would put that up and they would say that, well, you know, um, there was one witness who said this. And then what they don't reveal and what I found out, and I have video of them talking is there were like three other witnesses who said, no, he had a rifle and he fired at it at the police you know, but they don't talk about that. They just kind of selectively omit the fact that more witnesses said that he was armed than the one guy who said he was not. They also don't usually bring up the details that the witness that was on Reinhold's side of the situation also happened to be his friend who he was staying with at the time, saying he just had a gummy worm in his mouth or something. But that comes back to like why this is also frustrating is that, you know, people, you know, they don't have any way of looking at both sides of the footage because Antifa has their motives for you know, editing things the way they want. Black Lives Matter does, you know, but in the same token, you could assume the right wing would as well. You're trying to find the truth of the situation, you know, so I guess moving on, unless, is there anything else that happened in your time, you know, um, reporting on Portland that you'd want to share before we move forward with the We Spa? Well, one, one thing I wanted to say about the Michael Reinhall um, exe- uh, shooting, possibly execution, was it there were several like local police agencies and federal agencies like the U.S. Marshals were involved in that. And like it really disturbed me that the best that are like the best of the best of our law enforcement forces of the U- U.S. Um, couldn't bring this man in um, alive and make him face trials so that we could see discovery and, and see the trial and see the details of what happened. And it was basically like a street execution. Like, don't get me wrong, that guy was a, mur- a cold-blooded street murderer, and, like, I've got no tears shedding that he got um, killed. But for for law and justice to where we're going to move away from just barbarism and that kind of thing, like, it really disturbed me that the U.S. government couldn't bring this guy in. Like, they, they 
killed him in the process on the streets. Like they couldn't like um, Vice News was able to contact this guy and get an interview with him. Like, right. They're just a news agency. They were able to contact him and sit down and have a, a calm conversation on video. And the U.S. government wasn't able to even achieve that level of like detainment of him, like to where like the only way they were able to interact with him was to kill him. That was disturbing. Yeah, and I'm and I'm open to the possibility that something could have went down there negatively. But the problem is, is after the guy had already shot someone, I'm also open to the possibility that he would fire on police if they caught up to him. So it's it's hard to say. And unfortunately, I honestly kind of that's another example of a situation that makes me feel that all law enforcement should have body cams. Period. Like it is just this yeah. is what you do. This is like the, they as standard have, like, as your just, badge and your gun. They could Go have ahead. waited till he walked into a grocery store. Or walked into like some kind of business. They they couldn't have waited until he was in a situation to where he could have just been overwhelmed by the physical force of men before he had to. Like it disturbs me that their like multi agency pursuit of him ended in gunfire. Like there was like that's the best our government forces can do. Like gunfire in the street. That was disturbing. That kind of reminds me of like what went on with David Koresh at the Waco site. And David Koresh pointed that out himself. And don't get me wrong. I'm fairly confident David Koresh was a weirdo, but he's like, why didn't you guys just pick me up when I was jogging every day? You know, like (laughs) he's like, why are you here? You know, like trying to cause this problem at this compound, you know? So I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm open to the possibility that there was foul play. They're just, you know, when I reported on it, I said, there's three witnesses that say this. There's one witness that says that. You know, unfortunately, you know, that's why, again, why I come back to just anybody enforcing, honestly, I would say any kind of state authority should have a camera. Like, I, you know, it should just be as standard as their badge and their gun, because we always run into these situations. And it's not just to protect the people, it's to protect the police officers, because, you know, one of the other things that Drew Hernandez says in his analysis of the way that Antifa operates, for example, and now the right wing starting to do it, too, is that, you know, that they have like a method of we're going to go. We're going to cause some problems. We're going to get the police to declare an unlawful assembly. Okay, now they've done that. So now the police are going to move on us. We're going to start recording and we're going to record any time the police hit any one of us. And then we're going to put up the clip of that. And then we're going to change the narrative to we're the, you know, we're the uh, peaceful protesters who got attacked by the cops. And I basically, when it came to the Wii Spot thing, this might be a good segue. You know, I was like, well, yeah, it's exactly what just happened is like I watched the footage of you know, them, atta- you know, basically, you know, antagonizing the police. Shortly thereafter, the police declare an unlawful assembly and then they move on Antifa and some of them get clubbed, you know, and that's the only clips that we see is the some of them getting clubbed unless you look really hard. Um, and so, you know, it's very frustrating to me that, again, you know, because of this, they can kind of control, you know, the narrative. I, when we were talking, you know, off the air before this broadcast, I brought up one of my old videos of when they attacked the Columbus Day statue, not the Columbus statue, and the video footage that was getting shared everywhere, you know, was like a bunch of cops standing in front of the statue, having things thrown at them and being screamed at. When you look at the aerial view of the situation, you watch that a group, a group of black bloc moving in formation came up together out of a group of hundreds of Black Lives Matter protesters, you know, and that they had weapons, that they were, you know, they had a plan, they were moving together. Like, there's no way these people did not meet ahead of time, you know, with a plan and a strategy for how they were going to execute this. This wasn't just an organic group of people who said, oh, we're all wearing black. Let's go do something together. 
you know, and then when you look at the aerial view, you see very clearly that all the weapons and stuff being thrown at the cops were coming out of the black block formation and that there were hundreds of protesters that were just standing there who weren't participating in that, you know, and that it skews our, our understanding of everything, you know, um, as far as what's going on in the same way that, you know, we keep circulating the same, you know, police shooting videos over and over again to try to change the consciousness of people to think that this is just an epidemic, you know, this apparently happens just constantly, you know, when the truth is, is that like, I, I picked up the numbers and like only 269 um, black people were killed by cops in 2019, that on average about a thousand people are shot by police a year out of millions of police interactions. And of course, everybody wants that number to be as close to zero as possible. But, you know, if you followed the narrative, you would think that this is just happening every day, you know, and they use words like genocide to describe it. Um, you know, when it's, it's really actually like you're, you're more likely to drown in a swimming pool, die in a house fire, die in childbirth than you are any of, you know, any ever being shot by a cop. But to get back to, you know, what's going on with Antifa and, and, what went on at the Wii Spa, I guess I would start with, I know you said you weren't there in the third. I'd like to try to eventually try to get somebody who witnessed it, but there's so much footage on the third of them just walking up to protesters who don't, I mean, these are a lot of these people are, they're not proud boys. You know, they're not like militant protesters. Like there was a couple of Hispanic people, like, like as in a couple, you know, who were just walking along with a sign and Antifa, just ran up to them, took their sign and started shoving them around with skateboards and stuff and then chased them off, you know, and then there were some of those crazy um, Christian nut jobs who, you know, were really homophobic. And I don't like those people, but, you know, again, they got, you know, attacked, like none of them made any aggressive moves, you know? Um, so it seemed like on the third, they just kind of owned the place. And like, I've got footage of them people walking to the cops, like, can you help us? And the cops are just saying, just stay away from there. And, you know, like, as in they weren't going to do anything about it, um, you know, and that led to a lot of frustration. I think it also at that point, inci- you know, incited people like the Proud Boys and more militant right wing types to show up. It's just like in Kenosha, you know, the reason they all showed up was because they, the, this, the cops were ordered to stand down and just let Antifa and Black Lives Matter just burn the city down and nobody would do anything. So I guess I want to pull you back into this then is that, you know, you show up, did you have a comment first about anything, you know, about what, what went on on the third? Um, I recently met a, a live streamer from LA. That's a pretty good guy. And he got attacked on the third. Uh, he goes, he live streams by uh, the, the YouTube channel WYSIWYG. And, right. um, and he's a pretty peaceful guy and like reaches out to a lot of people. He's not like far right. He's not a leftist. And uh, they attacked him pretty pretty badly just for streaming there. Right. That seems to be the new modus operandi. Like you don't even have to do anything to them. It's just you're streaming and you're not them. Like they want full yeah. control over who's filming, you know, and, you know, as I heard from, yeah, like on the 17th, uh, they, 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 uh, they, they were surrounding me and I was like, I was accusing them of being fascist. And I was like, yeah, I saw your flyers telling people not to stream here. And they, they say uh, like, Oh, so then you're aware as though they had some authority to put upon me, like, like as though like my knowledge of them claiming the, that there's no streaming happened, put more guilt on me to the, the fact that I was streaming, like, like as though they had some right or authority to like declare no streaming. And once I knew that they were declaring no streaming, I was all the more guilty. And it's just, it's ludicrous. Like they can just write a law. 
<laughs> like, you know, yeah. it, what you were doing yeah. was suddenly illegal because they said so. <laughs> and because right. I'm aware that they said so, like in their eyes, I'm more culpable because like I, I knew the law they laid down and I'm disobeying it. So I'm, I'm breaking their Antifa law. That's something I see uh, Charles Veach, Charlie Veach. He's a British um, streamer and was like a really deeply involved activist. Um, some years ago, he mellowed out a bit when he had kids, but he's constantly in a situation where people are telling him to stop filming. And he's like, nope, you can't stop me, you know, because he knows the laws in England where he's allowed to film and where he doesn't, you know, and, but it's, but when it comes down to that, it's just might makes right. Like there's, you know, and, and on the third, all the footage I see, there's like, I don't know, 20 to 30 Antifa usually beating up one or two people at a time, you know, and then none of these people are hitting back, you know, like, you know, um, one of them just looked like a journalist who had somewhat darker skin and black hair. They punched him in the head like three times, you know, they try to tell him, get the camera, get the camera. Like they're going to take his stuff, you know, and that I think beyond anything else, like um, a supposedly uh, there's a, member of Antifa is also a trans person who is, I guess, also a musician known as Precious Child, who I guess was supposedly the organizer who got everybody involved with going to the Wii Spa, you know, and there's footage of them being there, you know, dressed in black. Somebody had identified them and, um, and participated in it. And they were all really happy with the outcome of the third, you know, and then, you know, when the next dates came up, and I guess those are the days when you were there, and things didn't go quite as well for them. All of a sudden, they were all posting on Twitter how depressed they were, you know, and, oh, man, the society, like, you know, the police are standing up for fascism. That's what the SoCal Antifa um, Twitter said, you know, like, it, it definitely demoralized them that all of a sudden they weren't just running the streets, you know. So um, I guess, you know, now that we're here to the Wee Spa situation and you were there for all of that, you know, you know take the mic for a moment, I guess, and, and give me your understanding chronologically of like what you experienced while you were there. So I got there early at like nine or eight, 10 or so. And, um, <laughs> I noticed all the, they had attacked the neighborhood around that area the night before and graffitied everything, even like a housing complex. And, um, noticed that, uh, there was 50 to a hundred black block people there to start out and they were taking over, the LAPD was um, being very strange in their um, actions towards this event. They tried to um, cordon off the area in front of the Wee Spa, that corner, as a police um, spot. Um, to the east of that, um, they at the, at the Housing Authority building, they claimed that that was off-limits to people and that that was the police line as well. To the uh, corner opposite of the police corner they said that that was a press um uh, for a media um safety zone and the uh corner um, adjacent to the media zone and the police corner was um an activist zone for antifa and they also claim that they uh, were trying to give a, a space for antifa and the left and the right to protest separately which is not true so um, the first thing is is that they weren't mediating any of these zones that they were arbitrarily um, trying to force. Like uh, at a at a uh, a protest, like you, it's it's ludicrous for the city to say like you stand in this box and you stand in that box and you stand in that box. It's it's just utterly ludicrous. 
But at the same time, they were telling all the people that were filming to go to this one corner, which was occupied by a whole bunch of Black Bloc Antifa members. So, like, individual um, streamers, independent, right-wing, um, anybody who was non-Antifa, the police were telling them to go to the corner and stand alone in the middle of Antifa. And it was it was just ludicrous. And uh, they didn't create a space for uh, the right-wing and the left-wing to um, protest equally. The right wing showed up um, an hour or two after the left wing started protesting, and the police stopped them uh, a block away from the Wee Spa. But they uh, allowed Antifa to protest all around the Wee Spa. What uh, really, really disturbed me is I have on my stream many times that the Antifa was committing micro assaults and crimes. Uh, minor assaults and crimes, like they were shoving people, they were surrounding people and threatening them and giving them death threats, and, and they were slapping people's cameras and that sort of thing, like brandishing like knives or, or mace and that's, that's, that kind of thing. There were dozens of police officers that this was all hand, happening in front of. And I, I approached police officers many times, and I was like, what is your guys' policy? What is going on here? You guys are seeing crimes committing committed, and you're just watching it. And my perception was that repeatedly the LAPD was uh, targeting the small minority of, of conservatives or um, centrists that were filming or just there present. And they were escorting them out of the crowd, saying, that for your safety, you can't be here. Um, and like even me, several times, they, they were telling me they were threatening me to, uh, for, for citations of being in the crosswalk of a closed down road which um, several half a dozen of, at, at least police were standing in that road. But because I'm also standing in that closed road, somehow I'm at risk of a citation. The captain told me several times to go stand in the, the media corner, which was an Antifa corner. There was just a crowd of Antifa. Uh, and uh, I, I even uh, questioned him once. I was like, is this order for me? Or is this order for the crowd that I'm around? Because you're talking specifically to me but if I'm breaking some kind of rule, the whole crowd around me is breaking that kind of rule. Why, why are you focused on me? He wouldn't answer. Um, I was very, very disturbed by the actions of LEPD, just as I've been disturbed by actions of Portland police and lesser, but, but also uh, Seattle police that I've seen these situations happen where the police are not pursuing justice in these situations. They're not pursuing to hold people accountable for crimes they're committing. They're not pursuing um, who's right and who's wrong. They are pursuing the path of least resistance, and they're trying to avoid conflict, which is not the role of law enforcement, to just avoid conflict and, and allow criminals to do what they uh, want to do with, without um, escalating the situation. No, the police need to go in there and apply the law equally to everyone. If somebody's breaking the law, if somebody's committing assault, if somebody's threatening people verbally in public with threats of violence or death, the police need to step in. And, and they're scared of the PR. And I understand that the police have had bad PR for uh, at least a decade now. But that, that's not going to happen by them pussyfooting around and, and avoiding conflict. They need to just apply the law equally. They can wear body cams on every one of them. And they can, we can go through the courts and see, like, yes, this was a proper use of force. This was not a proper use of force. And it, it's, it's just driving me nuts to see the police just turn a blind eye. There Dozens of police officers are watching while people are getting assaulted, and they just stand there. 
And then and then they target the uh, the non Antifa press and people present as though their presence was the problem. I think the way the police see it is that this large mob comes out and that they'll do nothing if there's nobody there to watch them. So when right wing groups or press or centrist press or anybody comes out to observe what Antifa is doing, their vandalism, their intimidation, the police target those people that are showing what's happening as the problem as though if they never came out and showed what's happening if they never came out and 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 uh said no to antifa then antifa would just fizzle out which i think is ludicrous like even if that were true still the the police are targeting the observers of the crimes and not the criminals that are committing the crimes well, there's a possibility, you know, to kind of add on to the anti-police side of it would be that, you know, they may have a, a motive to try to control what kind of video gets out too. you know, like, I mean, at that point, you know, because they have their own cameras. I noticed that they're starting to use cameras again, um, you know, back in 2008, like the Patriot Act era, we noticed that, you know, during Occupy, you know, they'd film everybody and it was like they were trying to get profiles of who all the organizers were maybe to be used later. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, what bothers me the most about all of this, and I've said this openly, and it's the funny thing is, is that you get called a right winger for saying this stuff, but there's a prominent leftist named Chris Hedges, who's been saying this for a long time, you know, is that that what all the violence that they're engaged in is just creating an anti, you know, leftist sentiment. And, you know, it's actually making it harder for the left to make any headway. You know, and the Black Lives Matter stuff, if you're concerned about, you know, the fact that people profile you as a violent criminal, going out and being a violent criminal is not really the best way to solve that issue. (laughs) You know, that's something Martin Luther King understood clearly, you know, and when you watch like there was a recent peaceful protest in Canada um, about like a homeless tent city and I haven't been able to investigate the tent city too heavily, but they were doing some old school like, you know, civil disobedience, lock arm stuff. And it made the cops look really bad because the cops were just pushing these people down. We're not fighting them at all, you know, and it seems like that's gone. It's like, there's an effort now to try to tell everybody that violent protest is the only thing that works. You know, they say stuff like they try to say, well, Martin Luther King was in, was in support of violence near the end. And I'm like, uh, no, I've never heard that. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're making that up. You know, um, yeah. and it, the, there's actually statistics. A guy named Ryan Chapman has a really good YouTube channel, and he's very good at just giving information and not being partisan. And he, he pointed out that studies show that um, peaceful protests work about 50% of the time and, and violent protests only work about 25% of the time. You know, um, but there seems to be an effort to try to push violence as the strategy, and it's not working. Like, that's one of the things I said in one of my videos, you know, reviewing the We Spa stuff was because one of the things that came out is that another woman came forward with her story and she put it on YouTube, you know, and and then she put it on, I think it's the Daily Mail. Um, She was interviewed, you know, and she told her story that she went into We Spa like back in January and, you know, she had her daughter with her and she described three people who came in, um, two of which she described as like, looked kind of like lesbians, you know, colored hair, tattoos, you know, and they had a guy with them who had like five o'clock shadow and a beard who wasn't making any effort to look like a woman. And they just came in and sat in a hot tub with a nude six-year-old girl 
you know, and a bunch of nude women. And when they asked him to cover up, he refused. And, you know, like they were just there specifically to try to cause an incident. Like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? You know, and then months later, you know, then we have them just, you know, apparently there was another incident. And what's going on right now, I notice on the Internet, is they're pointing fingers at each other. Like, was it the right wing who staged this incident? Was it the left wing who staged this incident? You know, but the point that I tend to make, and I'd like your view on this as well, is that it doesn't even matter if it was a hoax. Because you have so many people that are just defending it anyway. Like, that even if it wasn't a hoax that they think it should just be acceptable. You know, that's actually like um, probably one of the most quintessential parts was watching you um, arguing with the, uh, the heavy lady, you know, who said she was, she identified as a woman and as a trans and as a non-binary, you know, that she's standing there telling you, you know, that, well, if, you know, if I'm a trans person, then I have a right to feel safe. So, you know, if I go into a place and that's what makes me feel safe, then that's fine. And I, Unfortunately, she was shouting so hard, it was hard to hear you, but I believe you kind of said, well, women don't feel safe around, you know, penises or something to that effect. Maybe you could clarify, because I couldn't hear most of what you were saying because of the stupid crowd. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to make the point of, like, whether or not her anecdotal evidence shows one thing. It's my experience that many, many, many women and girls don't feel comfortable in their private places getting undressed and being vulnerable with male genitalia present. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't address that. But, uh, and, and that whole crowd is just like often so selfish. It just, uh, well, I have the right to feel safe. Like, okay. All right. But don't other people that are around you also have the right to feel safe? Like, right. If if some person felt like they they needed to have like a bazooka strapped to their back to feel safe, like and then they like walk into like a mall, and like nobody else feels safe because he's walking around with a bazooka strapped to his back, like like our our rights are 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 valid until they interfere with somebody else's rights. Like if you have a right to safety, so do the other people around you, and you have we have to negotiate those things. Right. And that's, you know, that was the kind of the comment I made in that video was that it was, I said, this is when the left starts to eat its own tail when they do things like, well, I have a right to feel safe. You know, even if that makes everybody around me not feel safe, that's secondary. And it's, it, you know, it's also like a woman's rights issue. And I encounter that quite a bit when I'm debating the issue of trans women in sports. You know, I have a daughter who was a very elite wrestler and so as a result, wrestling is forced to be co-ed most of the time because there's not enough girl wrestlers to make, you know, um, girls to divisions all the time. When there are girls divisions, you know, it's usually for special events like state championships or national championships. You know, it's becoming more common as more girls turn the sport. But like as a result, I have like upfront direct experience with what co-ed wrestling looks like, you know, and they basically just say, well, none of that matters. You know, like, um, you know, we need to let this person feel included. They may commit suicide, you know, if we don't let them play sports, you know, and that's that whole attitude about it. I'm like, guys, we haven't even finished the fight for women's rights in sports, you know, like, and so, but, but now the, the cis women in the situation are invisible. They're erased, you know, and it's the same scenario well, that's what was coming to my mind when you were arguing with her. Like she kind of follows you as you start walking away from her. 
you know, she's like, you know, basically it's like the, the women in the situation no longer exist. Well, except for her, of course, because she identifies as a woman and as a trans and as a non-binary, like, you know, I, I couldn't even, I, I literally like cussed. I couldn't help myself. I was like, what the fuck? Because what she said just didn't make any sense, but it's like, you're, you're correct about the selfish thing. And that's something that I have encountered a lot, particularly in the anarchist community and unfortunately, even some anarchists are starting to recognize that this is a problem, is that these kinds of movements frequently attract personalities who are not people you would want as your neighbors if you were living in an anarchist society. You know, because they, you know, like I remember, um, you know, Christopher Cantwell, for example, he was a ardent, like, um, free market, libertarian, you know, right wing, anti, you know, anarcho-capitalist. And then he evolved into becoming a white nationalist skinhead. It was president at Charlottesville, you know, and when I debated him, he was just a nasty, you know, he just, this is before he became a white nationalist, you know, he was cussing at me and just trying to shout me down and bully me. That was his way of doing things. And then, you know, there have been other anarchists over the years that I've encountered that just have some crazy ideas. And, you know, like um, that's actually what got Derek Jensen, who used to be a, like a really prominent, leftist anarchist, you know, thinker, you know, he's got like a bunch of books he's written and all that. They, you know, a bunch of anarchists like kind of excommunicated him because he said that there should still be laws against rape. Like how the hell, you know, do you find yourself in that situation? And, you know, that's a lot of these people also, it just seems like they don't have any kind of scope or maturity beyond what makes them feel good in the moment you know, and the long-term consequences of what they're suggesting are just not there, you know. Um, so I guess, you know, what has been in your experience then, you know, and, you know, I guess we'll talk a little bit more about the philosophy of it, you know, and, and what are your takes on it, having interacted with and talked to more of these people on the ground? Can you narrow that down? That's like a pretty broad question. <laughs> sure. I guess it's just given like what I've said and what you've experienced, um, you know, like, what are your thoughts about the mindset of these people and how it like basically how it comes about? Like, how do you get to that point where you think that that's like the way to talk and the way to behave and that this is a rational thing worth fighting for? Well, I think one thing is I, w- I was a bleeding heart liberal. Um, I grew up with a single mom. I think that that uh, the lack of a father causes that kind of thing, because the um, traditionally, the father provides and he works hard and, and pro- provides sustenance for the family. Mm-hmm. And when people don't have, like, the welfare state rises up and, and people don't have a direct um, contact to the work and production of the, the, the needs that they're supplied with, excuse me, I'm hiccuping, um, they they kind of lose touch with the reality and they start like dreaming about these utopias and, and just focusing on why the world is not a utopia, right? Rather than uh, why it's so difficult to create things. But I think a, a lot of these people have no connection with how hard it is to just provide a, a nice life for yourself. And they just see that as a base standard that should be guaranteed for them. Um, that makes I a lot know, of I sense. A, I, I interviewed a lot of people at the uh, when I was first um, um, filming the riots. A lot of people would allow me to talk to them and question their life. And 
most of them grew up in really bad families or without fathers and and I just think that without a need to occupy your time with providing um, substance to yourself and those around you, if you're being given welfare subsidies or you're given free college loans that are going to destroy you down the line with no with no um, need to um, have any collateral for them up front, you just you just coast through life and you don't really have any um, sense of uh, what it takes to to be happy and to be comfortable and have your needs met. So um, I don't know. I, I think well, that kind of meets up children. with um, right. That kind of meets up with uh, something I've said to people before. Is like when I say I don't hate communists, it's because I've met some peaceful communists. But a real functioning communism, like because there's a good commune called Twin Oaks, um, I think it's in Virginia. But like they have regular meetings of okay, so here's the jobs we need to do. Um, who's doing these jobs? You know, and it's hard work. You know, and that's something that a lot of the '60s, you know, communist communes failed because they think that they're just going to go somewhere and it's going to be easy, you know, but be a successful socialist and communist is a lot of work, you know, and it, in Twin Oaks, if you can't do the work and if you can't be useful, you just don't get to stay, you know, um, they're not going to gulag you or anything, but, you know, I think that these people think that what's going to happen is that if they get their communist world, that they're just going to get to collect checks and do whatever they want all the time. And that's not how it works. You know, um, it, it yeah. takes, it basically means somebody's still doing all that work. It doesn't just magically go away, you know, and I think they're in for a, a rude awakening, you know, is that I still believe in things like, you know, the more practical sense of those things would be like worker co-ops where, you know, the people who are in the company, you know, have a vested interest in it and they, you know, they decide things democratically as much as possible. Like Mondragon is a major corporation that does that, but everybody there is working. And if you're not working, then the rest of the people in that collective all look at you like, hey, um, we got to get back to work. You know, um, <laughs> so I think that they're going to be in for a rude awakening if they believe that that's how, you know, the things just function. And it's funny is like going back to the Chaz Chop for a second is that that was supposed to be their, you know, their demonstration that they don't need the state. Yet they were totally dependent on money and food and supplies from outside of their little commune. Is that correct? I mean. That's what was reported, but yeah, I'd rather I was, ask you. I was you. just going to bring that up, too, because one of the things I saw really disturbing in CHOP is, as I said, I was um, volunteering in one of the grocery stores, like one of the commissary places, and people were just bringing truckloads of donations. Like, like you had somebody at the counter, like, all day long just accepting donations of what people bring in, like camping gear, food, like anything these people tweeted out that they needed, like, it would shortly show up and somebody would bring it. Um, like industrial style kitchen gear, you know, shelving, um, anything. And uh, I had not not just once, but a few times, like there were some idealistic like young people there that were that were saying things along the lines of like, see, society doesn't have to work the way that they say it has to. We don't have to go to work all the time. And like all our needs are met here and everything. And like it just shocked me because like, these people had no sense of where this all was coming from and that somebody else was working and donating and pro providing. And, and they, they just had this like ludicrous version of reality. And they thought it was sustainable. They thought that they were just going to be able to hang out all day, volunteer an hour or two at the commissary, sleep in their tent, 
and and get all their food and hygiene needs met and and that that was just going to keep going on into the future like they were so disconnected from how the world works and reality and and it wasn't just a one-off thing it i saw several people making comments like this and it just it blew my mind it's like you have never had to pay bills before i can see that you have never had to pay bills right. before. right right that's you know and it, it you know that comes back to something you and i talked about like earlier was that they also have an inflated idea of how powerful they are like militarily or, you know, confrontationally, you know, uh, I said this when I was on Johnny Walker Dredge show, I was like, you know, you, you encounter these people and they think they're fighting the police. Like they won some kind of military battle when they took over the Chaz chop area. And the truth is, is the cops left because they didn't want to kill them. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to, you know, and it's the cops left because they were ordered by the city to leave and the, right. and the chop, Anarchist zone did not overcome the cops in the least bit. They were ordered to leave. Right. And what I was getting, I was just say whoever gave that order just didn't want to see. I mean, it's like if they were doing that in China, you know, they'd have just been shot. You know, that's <laughs> you, you can't get away with like attacking federal buildings in these absolutist countries. And that's why yeah. it's funny is that there are actually provisions in the Patriot Act that would have allowed Trump to declare all of them domestic terrorists. And as soon as that happens, there's all kinds of bad provisions in that that like, take away a lot of your rights, you know, and he didn't do any of that. And I'm not a Trump supporter, but the point is, is that if he was this big fascist, you'd see a lot more than just federal officers. It, there would have been a huge crackdown. The military would have been involved. It's the same thing about comments like saying that you live in a police state. You know, if you lived in a police state, you wouldn't be protesting at all. Like there, there wouldn't be any of that. They, they put that down pretty quick, you know? Um, and I'm not saying that the police, you know, don't make mistakes. They certainly do. I think what bothers me though, is that that's why I said earlier is that there's this effort being made to just recirculate the same bad cop stories. There's no effort made to circulate stories that help people understand why these things happen, which is the reason why I send my viewers to a YouTube channel called police activity because the guy goes through very carefully and meticulously puts together all the footage he can get from multiple angles, whether it's cell phones, police body cams, you know, and he puts the bad shootings on his channel along with the, you know, the legitimate shootings, you know, and you really see like it, it, the, the, the version of reality that they want out there is that supposedly we don't need cops. Cops are bad. Cops kill more people than anyone else. You know, like that, this is all just like fiction, like, you know, and they, they usually have, no grasp of what crime looks like. That's the part of their equation that doesn't ever seem to get mentioned is like, that you'll be like, well, cops are killing people. So we should get rid of cops. So then when we have no cops, it's like, nobody will die, you know? And as the criminals somehow are this element that don't get brought up in their equation, in their math, you know, they just act like criminals don't exist, you know, and they think if they just put up, you know, more social welfare programs, that criminals are just all going to go get nine to five jobs. And I do feel that poverty is linked to crime, but I don't think that it's just going to poof, go away, you know, and even the more sensible anarchists understand that that's not how it can work, you know, but they, I think that what I typically encounter, you know, I had a friend also who shared his experiences because he's a black man who was going to these protests and just kind of listening to people, you know, is that you have people who don't know what crime looks like saying abolish the police 
you know, who've probably never lived in a neighborhood where there was gunshots, who've probably never been shot at, robbed, stabbed, or any of that. All they know is I don't like getting parking tickets or, you know, I got arrested once for weed. And that's the extent of their belief that this is what the cops are. And then criminals. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I knew many of the people there were lifelong criminals. And of course they want to abolish the police, you know? So it's, there's an ignorance in place, you know, and they think that all the authoritarian behavior comes from police alone. And I'm like, um, you know, in my neighborhood, the police response time could be as long as two hours. The authoritarians were still there. (laughs) Like somebody's going to take the authority and you don't want gangs ruling you. You know, they don't follow any rules. None. Like there's no filter whatsoever. You know, I mean, have you, I mean, especially since you said you pointed out that Chaz Chop, like the crime rates went up and I've heard that that's exaggerated. I've heard that it's accurate. You know, would you say that crime went up in that area during that time period? Well, I think crime was already going up in that area because Seattle made uh, some policy decisions uh, to allow kind of the hands off on, on drug dealers and like vagrants and, and allowing um, questionable people to just roam the, uh, the public city spaces without, without uh, being subject to the law for minor crimes. Uh, people for at least a decade were allowed to just walk around um, publicly high as a kite and um, Seattle kind of put a hands off on that. So, and I talked to a lot of uh, residents of the Seattle area, and they all said the, the same kind of thing, that um, um, the city had been going to seed for uh, quite a while because the, they had made policies to allow people to just be vagrant in city parks and to, to give the city parks over to that sort of thing. Yeah, those policies all come up out of this idea that, well, you know, if we let cops handle these things and sometimes people get killed, and the numbers just don't add up. Like, yes, okay, sometimes cops make mistakes. All systems involving humans does this, whether it's firemen who, through mistakes, accidentally get people killed or surgeons or, you know. um, you know. So instead, we should just turn off the police. <laughs> They're the only thing between us and the people who are going to continue to commit crimes. You know, um, they, they make claims like that police don't solve crimes, and I pulled up the statistics even from a left-leaning website that said that they only solve about 60% of murders. And I'm like, okay, would you rather it was a hundred percent of murders that are not solved? Like, do you, do you think that murder just stops? <laughs> like it just, you know, and I, it comes back to just them just not grasping what they're discussing. You know, I have a friend who has family who are from Somalia where there's very, like there's no police. It's just different warlords, you know, running everything. And that's a place where you see children walking around with rocket launchers and AK-47s because that's just what you do in Somalia, you know. And I, you can't seem to penetrate to these kids' heads. And it kind of unfortunately puts you in a situation where you're like, man, maybe you just need to let them do it. So because they don't see – it does not seem like they're going to learn any other way, you know, short of them going there and doing it, like – some of these people in particular who think that you know, we're better off without police, it's like, I wish I could take them to the neighborhood I grew up in because, you know, it's, it'd be pretty apparent to you probably within three hours that you need police in that neighborhood. You know, I, it's just, it, but regardless, to get back to like one of the things specifically, 
you know, that was the reason I wanted to talk to you is that to discuss, you know, what goes on at these protests and, you know, also discuss like, you know, what the right wing does, you know, that's questionable, um, you know, in these situations. I mean, on the third at the Wee Spa, like I said, it just didn't seem like there was any of the tough types that were there. But I remember watching a broad a broadcast where you were being interviewed and like some jackass from the right wearing like football pads was walking around like just macing everybody and you said it was a chemical that was like worse than bear mace yeah i don't know what it was like like i hope that i'm not just a wuss like i feel like i have a pretty high pain tolerance i've been bear mace before but this was excruciatingly painful like it just felt like my whole every drop of every spot of my skin that had been touched by that that uh, substance was just it felt like I was literally on fire. It was horrible. I almost called nine one one from the shower trying to wash it out. And he was just kind of like shooting people. You said he shot like you know some small girl like who was was well, she was just a coward. A... He 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 had it attached to his waist and he was just walking up and sneaking up on people and like spraying from his waist and like nobody had any warning. He he's, he sprayed multiple people. And what really bothered me is that no, it is it this this isn't something that you just don't see happening in that crowd. Like something that happens, you see, but none of that crowd, as far as I saw, ever approached him or ever uh, like uh, questioned him or told him to stop or nobody ever stood up to him. Nobody did. When I saw that footage, I was like, God, I'm so glad I'm in a wheelchair because I'd have taken a a baseball bat to that guy's kneecap. Like he just <laughs> he was begging for it, and he had. Even like with his face mask, you you could see he had like this smirk on his face, like he was enjoying it, you know, like he was he thought he was playing like Grand Theft Auto or something, just randomly targeting people, you know. Um, but I mean, I guess uh, what have your experiences been during the times when you find yourself intermingled with the right? Well, there have been many times where the right is very suspicious of who's in there and I wear a mask to keep my identity identity hidden. And so um, later that day on the 17th, I went up to Riverside, California and I, I filmed a, uh, a political speech event there. And I talked to a couple people. I remember one guy came up to me and another person standing up to me beside me. And he's like, why are you guys wearing masks? Uh, and he was mad about the COVID thing. He thought it was just stupid. He was like kind of cost that. I cost us for that, and uh, I tried to I tried to tell him about doxing, and strangely, he had never heard about doxing. He didn't know what it was. And then um, another lady I spoken to, I was interviewing her, and all of a sudden she's like, um, she said something, something, something. Unless you're on the left, and f you, and I, he starts going off on me, and just walked off. She ended up sending me a, a she found me on social media later and sent me a DM, and she apologized for it. But I didn't really accept her apology. I, I, I doubled down and asked her some questions uh, because I felt like she was apologizing because she had looked into who I was and thought that I was on her side and she was sorry for acting that way. And I asked her, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not accepting that. If, if, if you're just apologizing because you found out that I'm on your side, then like that's not an apology. If you're apologizing right. for your behavior because you shouldn't be speaking to people that way, be, regardless of who they are, then I accept that apology. Like, what? And, and she didn't reply to me. But... Uh, the right's getting more and more suspicious and paranoid, and um, there's reasons for that. Like, um, I, I have seen 
political bias prosecution. And you see law um, law enforcement in different cities choosing to turn their head away from leftist things, but then arrest the right wing people or uh, 200 plus days of rioting in Portland and, and other cities across the country. And not much was done about that. But then uh, a day at the Capitol event where over a million people showed up to the Capitol and maybe maybe dozens, if not like maybe maybe up to 200 people were being crazy and fighting the police uh, out of out of uh, one to one and a half million people, from my estimate. And then the FBI has been going out of their way to arrest all those people and putting thousands of man hours into it. But like what happened to the people who were throwing firebombs at the federal building for day dozens and dozens and hundreds of days? Like, um, Or the guy who literally threw a Molotov cocktail directly at the police in Portland. Oh yeah. yeah that that happened just... actually multiple times, multiple times that happened. Um, oh, I believe it. I just so have it... only ever found like t- two videos of it ever. But that's like that's attempted murder. You know, you get caught in one of those yep. things, you're you're fucked. That's why I'm like, how does this? Well, well, you're not actually fucked. They they just arrested one of them in Portland recently. One of the guys that threw a Molotov cocktail at police officers. He got. Well, I meant if you get hit murder. by a Molotov cocktail, you're fucked. But yeah, oh, go yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All he got was 48 months. Through through that, a that... firebomb at a police officer, and he got 48 months in prison. That's it. That doesn't even. I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. I know if I was armed, and somebody threw a Molotov cocktail at me, I'm shooting them. You know, period. You know, like that's you're trying to kill me. You know, like that that's if if you manage to get caught, like the the one I've seen, you know, this person pitches it over, and I actually thought it was a girl because it was somebody who was very slim, you know, dressed in black block, throws it at the police line, and fortunately enough, they all got out of the way. You know, if it had actually gone off like on a police line, like it probably would have caught like three or four of them on fire and they may not die, but it's, that's an attempt to kill you. I mean, it, that's especially, you know, and it's a large group of them like that all stuck together. You know, um, I, <laughs> that no, somebody who does that should just be gone. And I mean, if you're going to use a firebomb directly on another human being, you better either be in a war, you know, <laughs> you know, that just, that's, and I guess maybe that's what they think because some of them have kind of, convince themselves that they're in a war, you know, in their little skirmishes with police that are ordered not to shoot them, you know? Um, So, but yeah, I get what you're saying and I can understand why they're getting more paranoid. I mean, especially that, you know, um, that somebody finally walked up and shot one of them, I guess, you know, like what you're talking about though, with the way that you were received, like, you know, if you're on the left, then fuck you is the other thing I've noticed is that people, people don't understand or want to recognize that there are multiple levels of this thing. Like just for like a random accident, because my kids are involved in the sport of wrestling for whatever reason on my non-activist account, I have a bunch of Trump supporters. (laughs) Like I didn't go seek them out and befriend them. I befriended them at wrestling tournaments, you know, and I was able to talk to them politely about politics because they know me you know, and some of my leftist friends that were also on my personal Facebook would try to like get in and start throwing insults. And I, I tell them to cut it out. And, you know, I had a good, reasonable conversation with these people, you know, but I cannot have that with the left right now. If, you know, and the funny thing is I'm one of them. I voted for Bernie, you know, I consider myself like a Nordic model, you know, social Democrat, you know, I, but if you deviate from any little piece of what they think they, they, you know, they spit on you, 
Like you're, you're automatically the f- complete opposite. Like I had some idiot the other day tell me, oh, well, you know, social Democrats are just what we call social fascists. And I was like, so Bernie Sanders is a fascist now. Okay. You know, they, they have these like, you know, it, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists like George Bush, you know, and his, his policy, you know, um, in the war on terror. And there, there's no middle ground. You know, you you either go along with everything they say, like either either you're with us or you're one of the pedophiles. Right. No. And I'm not saying that they don't. I just have less experience with it because I don't when I just when I interact with the right, I make it clear who I am. But I'm pretty good at because I understand how they talk and how they think. I can make sure that I communicate with them in such a way that doesn't set them off, which is actually when I was at Occupy, they would call me like the the right whisperer or whatever, because they would send me to go talk to like the tea party if they showed up to discuss things with us because they knew that I could communicate with them. But no, it's that this is a problem that is definitely afflicting both sides. And I think it sucks for the more reasonable people on the left, because not only do they technically not really have a home, like any headway that Bernie Sanders might've made towards making people more interested in some of the programs that they use in countries like Denmark is all gone because of, assholes waving communist flags, you know, like burning and destroying shit. You know, that's, I'm actually on a couple of forums with anarcho-communists and I point, you know, they're like, you know, are we ever going to succeed in what we're doing? And I'm like, well, um, I can tell you, you're not really going to convince too many people that what you want to suggest is the better way to live is going to work. If your strategy is to burn people's property down and beat them up for not agreeing with you, nobody's going to agree that we don't need a state and we don't need cops if that's how you're going to go about, you know, convincing people. And I, I expected to get ripped for saying that because normally you would, but surprisingly they were pretty quiet. <laughs> so I was like, you know, cause there's nothing wrong about what I just said there. There's no way to argue that that's, that that's a good strategy to convince people, you know, um, you know, so I guess then when we talk about like the, um, I guess the anatomy of how these things go down, would you say, Drew Hernandez's like statement of this is kind of how it goes. Like we have an, we have a riot that gets started and then it gets declared in an awful assembly. And then they start trying to arrest people. Is that pretty much what your experience with the chronology of events is? Um, uh, I'm not sure where you're going with that. Well, I'm just saying, do you, do, when you're out there, do you witness it basically happening like that? That you have the two sides starting, Antifa might throw something at the cops, the cops declared an unlawful assembly, the cops then start moving on the protesters, you know, and then that's kind of when the cameras start rolling for the Antifa side of things, you know, but is that more or less like the, the way you see things go down when you're out there? Pretty much. And as I said earlier, I don't, I don't think the cops are actually trying to pursue justice or what's right or wrong they're just trying to avoid conflict and so they're going to try to um declare an unlawful assembly as as quick as possible so they can just disperse the crowd and and um not have to deal with the situation they're not concerned with actually protecting first amendment rights and the right to protest uh they're not concerned with uh um, who is causing the violence in these things because they could easily just go in there and like decide like, oh, these people throw bottles, let's get those people out of the area and allow the others to um, continue their First Amendment rights. Uh, and granted, it's, it's hard when there's a big crowd going on, but 
Um, continually, I've been very disappointed in the police um, across the country the last year. Just, well, it sounds like they're just trying to contain it, and like that's what they think is the best that they're going to be able to accomplish. I'm not saying I agree yeah, with that, it's, but it's an authoritarian thing. It's it's that um, we will have the uh, a right to uh, control order in society. You don't need your First Amendment rights. We'll just handle everything. Just do what we say, and we'll handle everything according to to our our judgment. Um, well, ironically, that's what Antifa and Black Lives Matter sound like too. <laughs> yeah, any of these fascist totalitarian groups, but the police uh, in, in big cities, the police in big cities are more and more doing that. They're they're not concerned with what, who's right or who it's who's wrong. They're just concerned with the. Uh, um, the perceived peace of society. So it doesn't matter if there's a facade piece that's going to cause like trouble way down the road. Just today, if people are arguing in the street, all they care about is getting people out of the street, not, not in who is arguing um, justly and who's arguing um, uh, violently. It's just, uh, we're in control and we're going to um, handle this according to our views. We don't care about your First Amendment rights and that sort of thing. Well, that kind of reminds me on a lot of this because um, I've, I've, it's been really hard to watch the police stand by. And there's videos and videos and videos over the last couple of years from Portland and other cities where the police, you'll see someone getting attacked. You'll see people attacking vehicles. And then the camera will pan over to a, a several or several dozen officers just standing there watching this happening, doing nothing. And it's just... Okay, I understand the the police don't have an obligation to uphold rights and help people when they're being hurt, but I still am at very, very big risk of getting a parking ticket or a speeding ticket, or if I do anything wrong, um, the police are going to be there. Uh, I have to fear the police, but I don't have any um, justification to uh, assume the police are going to stand up for my rights. That kind of reminds me of... um what was going on in Kenosha when I was studying the Kyle Rittenhouse incident was that they were basically just kind of driving around in their armored vehicles, moving the crowd from place to place, but really not doing much else. Like they were trying to keep them out of the main city and that was their one objective, but they didn't do anything else. Now I've heard them say things like that. They kind of need like 10 to one numbers to be able to arrest somebody in a crowd, especially if that crowd's hostile and is trying to hit you. Um, and I've also heard things like people saying that police have just kind of determined that it's too much of a liability. I mean, like when you think about it from the stuff that happened in the Wii Spa, you know, like that clip of that cop basically taking his billy club and hitting that guy right in the head, you know, they play that. They don't play any of the stuff that led up to it. You know, they don't play any of the things that that guy might have done to bring that on. And then they get that cop's name and his badge number. And if Antifa can succeed in doing so, they will dox him which don't get me wrong, this is not a justification. I still feel that, you know, that action should be taken. And I honestly think that, unfortunately, like you said, spoiled kids, we're spoiling these kids to think that they can just show up and do this anytime they want because we're not doing anything about it. And then the more people you embolden to do that, the more that are going to do that. You know, and it's like, it, it the, the other effect that I've seen of it is because nothing's being done about it, like, the stuff on the third is enraging to watch. When you watch that video of them just picking off, you know, one protester at a time and beating the crap out of them and, you know, stealing from them, it makes you angry. You know, even if you agree with them to some extent, you're like, man, these guys are just a bunch of bullies. 
you know, and then, so what happens with that? Well, just like I said earlier, you know, with, with the Rittenhouse incident, the group that he was part of showed up because they were sick of the cops just letting them go business to business and systematically burn down Kenosha. Okay. All right. So anyway, yeah. Um, so is it your experience then that it seems like the police, for some reason, are more proactive if there's two opposing groups? Yeah. Many times over the last year, I've seen the police just stand by and watch Antifa do their crimes, stop traffic, assault people, assault people's vehicles. But uh, definitely when there's an opposing group or a, a conservative right-wing crowd um, there to try to handle the the... I guess law enforcement themselves, then the police definitely step in. And I think it has to do with like a, an authority kind of thing. Like the police are like fine determining what they're going to allow and what they're not going to allow when it's one group. But when another group comes in because they're upset with what the police are doing or not doing, then the police are really quick to come in and, and stop things. Yeah, like, and that's and frustrating because it's like a double edged sword. Like people, are getting frustrated because they want the police to step in, but the police don't want to step in. But then they're scared if they step in, that the police will step in and arrest them for trying to stop what's happening. Right. And the leftist perspective on it also is that nobody should oppose them. Like when I discuss Kyle Rittenhouse with them, it's like, well, he shouldn't even have been there. And I'm like, okay, neither should have any of you. (laughs) Like you were just going into the city to burn down businesses some of which were owned by people of color, you know, but all they talk about is Kyle Rittenhouse shouldn't have been there. And I don't think Kyle Rittenhouse would have been there. And I don't think any of those other guys would have been there if the police were doing something about the systematic destruction of the city. Um, You know, I guess, you know, you try to devil's advocate a little bit. I mean, I've watched a video where they kind of describe how um, police strategies against riots work. And in one of them, and I'll send this to you because it's pretty informative, but was that they don't believe that they're ever going to have enough people to actually stop a riot. So therefore they just try to like keep it contained. Um, And I can see why that would still be really frustrating, especially if you're just, you know, you're watching Antifa beat people up and then nobody does anything about it, you know, but um, you know, so, but yeah, it it is interesting that they do seem to be more interested if, if two groups are going at it. Um, you know, they definitely didn't do that in Kenosha. You know, Kenosha, they just let BLM do whatever they wanted within reason, but they moved them around with their armored vehicles, and then that was the extent of it. But, you know, um, I guess, uh, you know, bearing all of this in mind now, um, you know, are you going to keep doing this? Like, I mean, have you have you been able to, like, you know, essentially secure a situation where you're going to be able to continue to give this coverage because I, I hope you are because we need more people that are really more interested in the truth than they are in pushing an agenda yeah i don't i don't even know i'm kind of a crazy person and just like flying around by the seat of my pants so if things interest me i'll go out there but uh it's it's really demoralizing to go out there and like film this stuff and show people and like uh show that the cops are not doing anything um it's demoralizing seeing the cops not do anything, but still being subject to the law for the cops. Um, and it's demoralizing to see people that want to watch my videos, but then don't do anything. Um, the whole thing, the whole, the whole thing for me has been really, uh, when I go to these events, I, I'm actually depressed for several days afterwards. I hate seeing the violence and I hate seeing the lack of like uh, law and order. Um, and I hate seeing 
these, uh, these horrible, selfish people like hurting other people to get their way. One of the things that really, really bothers me is uh, it's, it's, I've been noticing more and more, like you'll see the clips of me talking to the heavy set girl at the Wii spa and she's just going, she's irate. She's, she's having a histrionic fit and, right. uh, she's part of the left, like she's on their side, but, and she's acting crazy as heck. And, and nobody's, nobody from her team is coming up and like taking care of her. Like, Hey, you're having a mental breakdown. Like let's, uh, but they're just putting their, they're letting her cause it works in their favor. Like she's, she's drawing attention and she's screaming and she's causing chaos. And, but, uh, they don't, they don't, they obviously don't care about her because if they cared about her, they would, they would, while she's having her, uh, mental fits, they would, they would come and like try to condole her and try to calm her down and try to, uh, point her towards something better for herself. But, uh, um, so many of these protests have one of them there. It's like the Antifa Karen and she's just like screaming irately and just like losing her mind and, and, uh, embarrassing herself on national, uh, on a national stage. They don't seem to care about her. Right. That's, you know, and I agree with you. I remember you mentioning on another broadcast that there does seem to be one of these people at every one of these damn things, you know, and it's almost like maybe they are hoping the cops will do something to her, you know, so that they can have video of that. You know, they attack innocent girl, you know, like, I mean, they've already got in a, in a, a video of one girl getting hit in the hand by a beanbag round. Um, the cops are identifying their motive is like they show, they do show video of Antifa throwing something in their direction before that round went out. Um, you know, but it, it feels like when it comes to like, you know, the kinds of personalities, like we were just discussing, there seems to just be some angry screaming person at every one of these things. And it's funny because, you know, it's, it's another scenario where they're basically doing all of this and getting away with it because the cops aren't doing anything about it. But when things finally do go down, it's, it's crazy to watch, um, you know, how they get confused when they start getting beat up. You know, it's like, I remember um, we discussed this before we went on the air was like these kinds of people that are getting this notion that they're a lot more dangerous than they really are because they've gone to protest and screamed at people successfully. And I described a video clip that I saw once of, um, it definitely goes differently if there's no cops to keep them separated, but the proud boys were fighting this group of Antifa. And, you know, um, that's something I remember you saying is like, you, you feel sorry for some of these people who are like skinny guys, you know, or, you know, petite girls or out of shape people who basically been convinced that they're warriors, you know, and in the clip that I'm talking about, like they face up against the proud boys who are usually giant dudes you know, and this girl steps forward to the front of the line and swings at one of them. So they punch her in the face. And it's like she's got this confused look on her face like, wait a minute, this isn't going down the way I expected. <laughs> you know, like like they're living in a world where, you know, we're going to CGI in the, the action sequences to make them into Captain Marvel or something. You know, do you want to comment a little bit just on your feelings about how it seems like these people are getting emboldened to believe, you know, that they're warriors? Yeah, it's ridiculous. You see these uh, little petite women like getting in the faces of grown men, and and they, it's usually in the context of like uh, right by the police or right by the mob of people. And these grown men are motivated by not wanting to punch a woman. They're also motivated by not wanting to be the one that gets arrested by the cops. And and there's also a mob there that might jump them. 
But every once in a while, these crazy girls, like you said, they, they just like slap or punch a man in the face and then she gets laid out. And then she just like has this like shattering of her perception of reality. Like it didn't work out the way she thought that uh, it, it did when all those like uh, female action heroes in the movies uh, beat up 17 grown men by herself. Like um, it's just, just a delusion. And I, I feel sorry for them because like, if you really thought that you were a five foot two woman and you're going to beat like three grown men. Uh, well, right. Fight. And that's, like, and then they, sometimes it seems like they almost do it on purpose. Like, I don't know if you watched the video that I believe was taken from the third where there, there's two Korean guys there and one of them is wearing a rooftop Korean t-shirt. So that gets Antifa's attention and they go over and they start harassing the guys and they're arguing with him. And one of them was wearing like an MMA gym t-shirt that had some lightning bolts on it that they were trying to say were like Nazi SS symbols. And I'm like, right, that's what it is. It's a Korean person wearing a Nazi SS shirt. And it's like, so they're just antagonizing over and over again and they're arguing with them. And then emerging out of the Antifa crowd is this scrawny, um, I mean, I thought it was a girl. I heard it might've actually been a transgender person, but he, you know, they go up and they start punching at the guy. And so the guy uses his water bottle and just lays them out, you know, oh, yeah, and then, right. And then the police show up and promptly arrest him within seconds. And he's like, I'm just defending myself. You know, they shoved me, you know, and that's when it almost seems like, you know, they're hoping for their photo op. Like, Oh, did you see that guy just like lay out that, you know, that skinny, innocent girl, you know, like um, it, it's, it sometimes it does feel like that's it is that they, they almost kind of want you to do that. And then they're always big on you just hit a girl, you know, even if the girl hit somebody first, you know, like even if they slapped somebody, even if they punched at someone, even if they, you know, and I guess that comes back to the things Hernandez was saying when he's just saying is that they're looking for photo ops. They're looking for sound bites and video clips and they look to try to create situations that will, allow them to create their own propaganda machine, you know, to say, well, well, this is how these people were, you know, um, victimized, you know, did you see what happened to this peaceful protester? And they're hoping that people like you are not out there. I, I, you know, um, and it's definitely clear when you see, you know, people who have hidden cameras have managed to figure out how to do that, you know, well, they definitely weren't expecting to be filmed in that circumstance. That brings us back to the guy in Portland, you know, but, um, so I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you're doing this. Now, if anybody listening to this wants to find your work, where are the best places to do so? You can find me on my uh, Facebook platform that has uh, got nuked and I recreated it. So it's very small. Um, at, uh, it's a villain report, V-I-L-L-A-I-N report. Um, my main place is YouTube, villain report. Uh, you can check me out on social media where I'm not supposed to have um, accounts. Um, um, Brave the Soul. Brave the Soul is a hashtag I use, and you might be able to find me on there. But uh, pretty much Villain Report or Brave the Soul. And if i am got an active platform, you'll be able to find me there on whatever you're, whatever you're searching for me on. Yeah, I would do what a lot of these other guys do and just make sure that when you do get a big platform like you had on YouTube – you know, to constantly have a backup channel that you can, that you can send people to two while you're big in case that ever happens. Um, you know, but what I will also do is I'll just have you email me all that and I'll put it in the description of this, this show. Um, I want to thank you for coming on and spending this time with me, you know, and I hope that in the future, if you go do more of this work that you can come on and give me a more, you know, direct 
you know, accounting from the ground of what you saw. Um, and I would appreciate it because at this point we need more people doing what you're doing. Um, and, uh, at this, I'm glad that you kind of, it was like you said, you know, you don't even really consider yourself politically motivated, but at the end of the day, you're performing a service that's very much needed for people to have any kind of clarity. Um, I will say in my own experience, because of the way that my own material works, unfortunately, the audience for people who are just unabashedly telling the truth is not as large as you might expect. You know, like I've lost some yeah, other people that are clipping my stuff and like making it sensational. They, they get a lot of views. Like they clip a, a clip of me talking to the overweight girl at, at we spa and make her like make a comment about how psycho and crazy she is. And that'll go like crazy. But me just like being um, reluctant to re- react to her and reluctant to like slander her and, and that sort of thing. Uh, that that doesn't. But I provide I provide the the uh, the extremes um, a, a place to come clip clip my footage and get go go viral. So, uh, but that's one of the things. That, that's one of the things that annoys me about that is that that's why I said like one of the reasons I haven't monetized is I'm trying to avoid even having the temptation to be in that situation because people get they, they want to go viral because they want to get money, you know. And if that's I mean don't get me wrong. I wouldn't mind going viral just because I want to have an audience for the stuff that I'm doing. But I agree with you that people will, I can see them doing something like that. I use that clip just because I've been trying to like find some answer to the question of how do you justify this position? Like in, you know, because that's why, like when we said earlier in the broadcast, they're focused now on trying to say that it was just a hoax. But again, all these people are defending it. Like even if it wasn't a hoax, you know, that's what motivated me. I'm like, you know, when I confronted Precious Child on Twitter, it's like, do you feel that this is okay? You know, and the last time Precious Child responded to me was to say, well, pay me and I'll answer your question. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know, um, no, I'm not going to pay you. But the fact that you can't just answer me kind of makes your activism look a little questionable. And they keep going on their live streams to whine about, you know, how bad it is to be trans in that area. But some of the stuff that they're saying that they're dealing with is like, you know, you're just threatening my right to exist. I'm like, nobody showed up at the Wee Spa to protest that you exist, except for maybe the weird Christian people, you know. Um, but it, it's not that. It's, you know, they, they don't want to confront the question, you know, and they don't want anybody else to confront the question. And the few that have, like, you know, it, it's always just, well, you could, you're just going to have to deal with it because this is what makes me feel comfortable. So anyway, I think we've come full circle on that. I appreciate you coming on, you know, um, stay in touch. Um, I'd like you to, if you don't mind, stay on just a little bit longer here after I stop recording, just to have a brief after conversation with you. And um, for those of you turning in and listening, thank you for t- you know, listening to V Radio. Uh, please share this, pro- this podcast. Um, that's the only contribution I'm looking for at this point. I mean, I've got a subscribe star and a Patreon, but I'm not pushing any of that stuff. That's mostly was all stuff I had set up from before. Um, I'm not interested in money right now. If for some reason, because I am disabled, I get to a point where I'm financially not able to work, then I may try to do this again professionally, but that's not my objective at this point. Um, but do share it because I definitely get throttled. <laughs> um, the the uh, algorithm does not like anybody who tells the un, you know the unfiltered truth. Um, So thanks again for tuning into V-Radio.